So let's hear from God's Word. And as we do, let's pray. Lord, would you open our hearts and open our eyes to receive your Word and to see you? As you sow this over us, would we be, I don't know, good soil to bear fruit for your kingdom, Lord, as we've been learning for the last five weeks? Amen. Hear the Word of the Lord. Our Old Testament reading today is from Job 42, 1-6. to and 10 to 17. If you want to follow along, Job 42. Then Job answered the Lord, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you declare to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends, and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then there came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before, and they ate bread with him in his home. They showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him, and each of them gave him a piece of money and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job, more than his beginning, and he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, a 1,000 yoke of oxen, and a 1,000 donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. He named the first Jemima, Syrup, the second Kezia, and the third, Karen Hapuk. In all the land, there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and his children's children, four generations. And Job died old and full of days. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And our New Testament reading for today is Mark ten forty six to 52. They came to Jericho. As he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's kind of a self-indulgent prayer here, but Lord, I just want to surrender this time to you. It's so good to be here with you, to sing to you and to, to hear your word. I pray that you would use the words that I've prepared and that we would all leave blessed by your presence and by your truth. Cultivate in our hearts a thirst for your truth, Lord, and may we bear fruit for you. Amen.
So let's start with Job. Our themes for today are suffering, mystery, and God's goodness. They do fit. So for those of you not familiar with the book of Job, I'll give you a quick summary. Job is the most upright man alive in his time. He's blameless before God and also very wealthy. Satan comes up to God one day, and God starts bragging on Job. Dude, check Job out. He's awesome. But Satan says to God, he's only awesome because you keep on pouring out blessings on him. If you take away his health, his family, and his billion-dollar ranch, he's going to drop. But God takes Satan's bet, tells Satan that he can mess with Job's life, and overnight, Job loses everything. After that, the whole book of Job is a complicated conversation about why bad things happen to good people. Job talks to God, insisting that he has done no wrong and doesn't deserve to be treated this way. Job's friends insist that Job must have sinned and that he must have done something terrible to deserve the judgment that God has poured out on him. And Job keeps on saying, no way, I didn't do it. And God remains largely silent right till the end. You'll find throughout the Psalms and other bits of the Old Testament and in the Pharisees, as they're recorded in the Gospels, the view that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. Pretty classic kind of karma, sort of nice, this makes makes sense. And according to these sources, God kind of keeps it that way, and this is how it's supposed to be. But the book of Job challenges that notion, demonstrating that life is a little bit more complex than balancing a moral ledger. Good, good, bad. Oh no, everything's going wrong. Nope. Today's scripture reading comes just after God's reply, when he finally speaks up. After God listens to Job and Job's friends hash out the problem of evil for 37 chapters, He pipes out, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? You're just kind of like, Oh, that hurts. And where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. I mean, you obviously have a grapple on this this problem of evil. So yeah, tell me. So where Job has accused God of doing wrong, God turns the tables on him and asks him, who do you think you are? Do you really think that you have the understanding to start this fight? You're out of your weight class. Or, as my father-in-law likes to say, in a battle of wits, you're unarmed. (laughs) So that's when today's passage comes in, and Job admits, oh man, you're right, I don't get this. He can't understand And then God restores his fortunes. Looks a lot like parenting, doesn't it? I mean, like, I haven't tried out being a dad yet. But I remember the other side of things. And I remember getting really mad at my parents because I didn't understand their discipline or their rules. And even though I expressed my indignance to them and with great fuss and anger and disrespect, they still took care of me. And God here does the same thing with Job. Job doesn't understand, and he throws his tantrum, and legitimately, like, he's in, he's in trouble. Like, this hurts. But he does kind of, like, seemingly cross his boundary and just be like, Lord, this isn't right. You're in the wrong. And God is like, no, really, you just don't get it. And he, he still takes care of him. It's not like, oh, you offended God, game over. The book of 
The book of Job doesn't give us answers about why bad things happen to good people, but it does maintain God's goodness through evil times. Our lack of understanding when it comes to God's goodness does not undermine his goodness, or so the Bible would have us believe. I'll sign up for that. On to the New Testament for today. Mark 10, 46-52, Blind Bartimaeus. There are all kinds of interesting Bible nerd things to say about this passage, and I'll just say a few of them today. They kind of give us some light. So first, please note that Mark, who is pretty sparing with words as he writes, he seems like he's in this big hurry to get to the cross and be like, hey, yeah, Jesus, he wins, it's cool. Um, he takes the time to tell us little details here and there, like, that Bartimaeus was the son of Timaeus. And you're like, this doesn't, how does that affect things? And scholars debate as to why Mark did this, but he does it and he does it elsewhere too. But it's quite likely that Mark mentions Timaeus because Timaeus and Bartimaeus were well known in the early church. Mark's writing to this audience and he's like, oh yeah, you guys know these folks. So it'd be kind of like me writing an email to you guys say this past July when we were at NYC and being like, oh yeah, my friend and I are having a great time. The speakers are great here at NYC. And uh, oh yeah, my friend had this really big moment with the Lord last night. It was awesome. But it would be like almost rude on my part if I didn't tell you that my friend was Jake Ashton who had like this huge moment because you guys all know Jake. And it's like, whoa. Or if you don't, he does go to this church. He's been going for a long time and you should get to know him because he is a great guy. (laughs) Mark is mentioning Bartimaeus and Timaeus because they're probably well-known, like Jake is here. (laughs) Bartimaeus didn't just stay known as one of those blind guys that people healed, like that nameless stories. People knew about him and maybe knew him personally. And from this, we might deduce that the early church was a tight-knit community, that people knew these things. Interesting from a historical kind of standpoint. Okay, so second Bible nerd thing. This passage is the end of one of Mark's favorite literary devices called intercalation. And it's nicknamed the Markin Sandwich. Intercalation is a writing technique in which the writer sandwiches a theme in between two short stories. In this case, Mark 8, 22 to 26, and Mark 10, 46 to 52, both tell stories about Jesus healing blind men. And these two slices of scripture are the multigrain exterior of a these disciples sure are dumb sandwich. <laughs> Throughout the middle, in 827 through 1045, Mark repeatedly emphasizes that the disciples don't understand Jesus. And so here, here we go. Peter kicks it off. Jesus explains that he has to suffer and die. Right after Peter is declared, you're the Messiah. And Peter's like, uh, no. He rebukes Jesus. <laughs> so Jesus tells Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. That's in 8.33. Then in Mark 9.6, Peter takes the next one, too, at the Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John go on a hike with Jesus, and they see him glorified in dazzling white clothes at the top of the mountain, hanging out with Moses and Elijah. And Peter's like, Hey! I'll build you guys a tent and we can stay a while, right? That'd be good, yeah? And Mark makes sure to tell his readers that Peter's like just, he's almost wetting himself. He's so scared and he has no idea what to say. Then the disciples can't cast out a demon 
Even though just three chapters earlier, they had cast out a bunch of demons. And it's like, what's, what's going on? Mark is kind of highlighting. They, they still don't really get this. Jesus has to come in and save the day. Jesus tries to explain his plan to be crucified for a second time. Quote, but they did not understand what he was saying, and they were afraid to ask him. That's in 932. And then they argue about who the greatest is among them. And Jesus sits them down to explain, well, whoever wants to be the first must be the last of all and the servant of all. And he's like, guys, it's, it's not the same. Power structures aren't going to stay the same with this kingdom. And then the list goes on. The disciples are like trying to keep children away from Jesus. And he's like, let him come. And the disciples are perplexed and amazed. And then right after the third time, Jesus tries to explain that he's going to be killed by the Jerusalem authorities. And that's how this kingdom is going to come. James and John ask him if they can rule on either side. And it's kind of like, you guys really don't get it, do you? The disciples are just as blind as the two blind men that get healed in either side of this section. And that's intercalation, the Mark and Sandwich. So when we read that Jesus heals the blind beggar, we could just conclude, oh man, that Jesus guy, so good, healing folks. And that's a great conclusion. He is a great guy, and he does still heal folks. But there's more. Mark shows us that Jesus didn't just heal people's eyes, though eyes are very important and physical healings are really great. Jesus also worked to heal the disciples' blindness. In these verses, Mark is shouting out to us, his readers, open your eyes. Don't be afraid to ask Jesus questions like the disciples were. Really listen to what Jesus is saying. Think about it carefully. So these two passages of today, they really emphasize two ideas. People are pretty blind, and God is really good. Job didn't get it, and his friends didn't get it. The disciples didn't get it, even though Jesus was right in front of them, explaining it. And I mean, like, then it comes to us, and it's really easy for me to point and laugh and be like, guys, look at this. Like, can't you read to the end of the chapter and be like, yeah, it's all, it's all good. You can understand. But uh, I don't get it. <laughs> I feel like Mark probably intended us to, as we're reading, to see that Jesus is the Son of God and that every time the disciples are like, uh, what? For us to be frustrated. Like, guys, don't you see? I feel like it's part of Mark's argument that he's like bringing us to this frustration to be like, no, it's so obvious. It's a persuasive device. The Messiah promised the world this Jesus. But really... I'm more like the disciples than I'd care to admit. I am pretty blind sometimes. And one of the ways that I've experienced this blindness or a lack of perception is in reading the Bible, which I realize is quite an admission from the pulpit. (laughs) It's kind of funny that I'm preaching to you about blindness today because a lot of the time I do feel blind. And it's a good thing that Jesus is alive and that the Holy Spirit is here illuminating our hearts and minds because otherwise things could go south pretty fast. So if I can just share a little personally, for most of my life, I've had this perception that God is someone to be like afraid of. I've been afraid of God. And it's not like the Proverbs 1-7, reverent fear of the Lord kind of fear. It's more like the sweet Moses, I'm a bad guy, and this God is going to just wipe me out. Have you read the prophet Nahum? Like, things go south 
really fast when you stand up to the Lord and God doesn't mess around. That kind of fear, like, oh man, I'm in trouble. But that fear has kept me from seeing that, like, this really, really obvious thing in Scripture that God loves me and God loves us. And he's a good father. You might even call him heavenly. And there's no need to be afraid of him. So my fear of God has kept me blind to the love of God. God is really good, though. At the end of Job here, we see that God restores Job, his health, his wealth, his family, and his happiness. Job died old and full of days. And then on top of Mark's sandwich, Jesus heals Bartimaeus, and the disciples eventually see clearly enough to start the church. The book, The Acts of the Apostles, is a pretty amazing story of what they did after Jesus healed their blindness. Pretty cool. For me, I feel a little bit more like the blind man from Mark's first story, which we didn't read, but which you're probably familiar with. Jesus is spitting on my eyes. And I can see a blurry picture of my loving Heavenly Father, and I'm not so afraid anymore. But Jesus and I are still, we're still working that out. And I'll keep you posted if you want. Feel free to ask me anytime. How about you? Today, Jesus still hears people crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And he's still calling them to himself. Take heart. Get up. He's calling you. If you need to see him, there's no better time than now. Altars are nice sometimes if you're into kneeling and they're, they're open. Or you could just sit or find a friend and pray it through. James 4.8 tells us that when we draw near to God, he will come near to us. And Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. If the whole sprinkled heart thing is weird for you, Hebrews is basically saying that in the same way that the Israelites used to sacrifice animals and sprinkle blood to consecrate things, by trusting God and leaning on Jesus' perfect sacrifice, we can come near to God by faith, knowing that he's ready to accept us. So our community has been journeying through Jesus' stories of the kingdom. And so if he's scattered seed over your heart or your mind today, I feel like prayer is one of the only ways that we can actually sort of cultivate healthy soil. So come and pray today. And, you know, I feel like we probably haven't laid out a bunch of conviction on you guys today. But if Holy Spirit is, then, yeah, don't hesitate. We're going to keep on hanging out with the Lord in song. We're going to come and eat at his table this morning. And so, Roman and team, if you want to make your way up here. I feel like it's really cool that God hosts us at the table. It's, it's quite a time. Receive the grace today that the Lord has for you. Amen.